Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was departing, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same manner as you have watched him go into heaven. Let us pray. Our Father, we do long to see the face of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though we do not expect to do so as the martyr Stephen did, yet we do pray that the eyes of our spirit might be opened, that we might indeed see Christ seated at your right hand in majesty and glory. And Father, we pray that you would Open up your word to us today and give us wisdom and insight to understand what it is that Jesus has done for us and continues to do for us even now. We ask that you would bless this time in your word by the power of your Holy Spirit, both as the preaching is done and as it is heard, that we might be built up in our faith and that we might be bound together as one in our Lord Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. It is a common thought among believers, especially when struggling with uh, temptation and sin, it is a common thought for us to wonder why God didn't just go ahead and do the sanctification just at the same time he was doing the justification. In other words, you know, uh, get us uh, into the kingdom through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit and, and then to make us perfect, make us uh, sinless so that we would not have to continue to struggle as we do with indwelling sin. An associated thought must have been in the minds of the disciples during this particular time after the resurrection, and I'm sure it has been in in many believers' minds as they have lived in the world, and that is, why did Jesus have to go away? There, there really isn't anything immediately present in the logic of his sufferings and his death and his resurrection that would say to us, he had to leave the earth. Now, obviously, we'll find that this was prophesied in the Old Testament, as well as foreshadowed in the parables, as well as explicitly taught by Jesus Christ. And we learn, for example, in John, in that last discourse, the upper room discourse, that Jesus said it is to our benefit that he goes away. Because if he did not go away, he would not be able to send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. So we're not doubting the wisdom of his going away. Although sometimes we, we, we have to wonder uh, why why he left, having bound the strong man, as he says in Matthew chapter 12, having conquered death and denied the grave, why leave now? Was this a, a situation of, of going out while you're ahead? Leaving the, the scene of your greatest defeat, as it were, on Golgotha, followed by the greatest victory, the empty tomb. Why did Jesus leave? 
We've all read that passage in the Gospels where Jesus, after his resurrection, enigmatically says to Mary, Do not touch me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. Did he leave because the Jewish nation had rejected him? That is a common teaching, as I've mentioned already, that that because Israel did not accept Jesus as their Messiah, as he truly was, that he left and he took the kingdom with him. Well, first of all, it's not true that Israel rejected her Messiah because many within Israel believed. Many, as we read in the book of Acts, many even of the priests became disciples of Jesus Christ. And so the the gospel was not without its effect even within Israel. But given the overarching rejection of the nation and especially the leadership of the nation, could not Jesus have simply gone to the diaspora, to to the many hundreds of thousands of Jews that were scattered around the Mediterranean and into the Middle East and into Asia through the dispersion that came about by the hands of the Assyrians and later the Babylonians. Why couldn't he have gone to the, disper- the dispersion? Why couldn't he have gone to the Gentiles? We know that the prophecies teach us that he would be the light to the Gentiles. And we know that he would, he would eventually raise up Paul to be the, the apostle to the Gentiles. That the gospel, as we saw last week, would go forth from Zion, would go out from Jerusalem, and it would go to the uttermost parts of the earth, not just to the Jews living there, But to the Gentiles, why couldn't he have gone to them? Well, I hope that we can see in our our study this morning that this time in which Jesus is apart from us physically, this time from his departure known as the ascension to his second coming known in the scriptures as the parousia, between the ascension and the parousia, what is Jesus doing now? Now that's a little bit different question. I don't imagine a line of baseball caps and t-shirts, W-I-J, no. It's not W-W-J-D. What would Jesus do? It's what is Jesus doing now? Because often I think many within Christianity do not give much thought to what Jesus is doing now. They think and and they are taught upon what Jesus has done. And then, of course, they're taught what Jesus will do. But not much is said about what Jesus is doing now. For example, uh, Pentecostals and Charismatics generally would answer, not not really with these words, but in their teaching, in their their practice, they would say, "Well, well, not much. Because this, of course, is the age of the Spirit. And it's the Spirit that is doing everything through the second blessing, through the gifts, through the charismata. That's that's what's happening right now. Now, the Reformed theologian, he would say that that Jesus is seated at the right hand of majesty. But that's a where, not a what. And there's often not much even within Reformed systematics telling us what is it that Jesus is doing while seated at the right hand of of majesty. The mainline and liberal denominations would say, well, that doesn't really matter. What matters is Jesus' example, his moral teaching, his, his evidence of love that he gave up his life for his people. That is what we should emulate as Christians. General 
American evangelicalism treats Jesus as the answer to two out of every three Sunday school questions and bumper stickers. Okay? Or we might go so far and spray paint Jesus saves under the underside of a bridge. Okay? I call that evangelism. It's really a strange form of sharing the gospel while defacing public property. Um, what we do with the name of Jesus, what we do with the, with the person of Jesus during this time between his ascension and the parousia really impacts what we think of the church. And then within the church, it impacts what we think of ourselves as believers. Who we are and how we stand in relationship to the world. Theologians call this, this time in which we live the session of Christ. And so we are talking about that time, as I said, between the time which Jesus was taken up physically into heaven and the time when he will, as the angels encourage the disciples, physically return from heaven. It's called the session of Christ. And though Jesus began his ministry proclaiming the gospel or the advent of the kingdom of God, he ended his ministry testifying the good witness before Pontius Pilate that he was indeed a king and saying to Pontius Pilate, it was for this purpose that I have come into the world. Yet, I would submit to you that Jesus was not fully invested with royal authority until he ascended to the Father. Now, within Reformed theology, and, and I think it is quite accurate, it is often taught with regard to Jesus that he fulfilled the three basic offices of the Mosaic system within Judaism. That he was a prophet, that he was a priest, and that he was a king. That he is a prophet, that he is a priest, and that he is a king. But we tend, I think, to, to, to muddle those somewhat. And I hope to bring a little bit of, of distinction to those terms. For example, just to give you a summary, from his anointing after his time in the wilderness up until Jerusalem and his passion, his primary office during that time was that of the prophet. During his passion, from the Last Supper all the way to Golgotha, he was a priest. He was the sacrifice, but he was the priest who was offering up that sacrifice of himself. And from the ascension to the second coming, he is king. Now we've looked at Daniel's prophecy, and, and I think you already have got it that I think that the prophecy of Daniel is one of the most influential books governing the era in which Jesus came. That by the time John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness, by the time Jesus came to be baptized and then led out into the wilderness and then back into Israel and Judea and Galilee, in the minds of devout Jews... And even in the minds of the scribes and the Pharisees who may not have been prone to believe, the prophecies that had the most impact were those of Daniel. And I want to read again from Daniel chapter 7, because I think that 
This is what we are seeing in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Daniel chapter 7, beginning in verse 13. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. He came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Now I know that it has been common in our country for at least a hundred years to take a passage like this and to put it way off into the future. That what we're reading about in Daniel chapter 7 is the, the millennial reign of Jesus Christ on earth. But listen to the terms. I saw one like the Son of Man, and he came up to the Ancient of Days. What can this be? But the resurrected Jesus ascending to the Father, where he was invested with all authority and dominion and a kingdom. And where we know from the New Testament, he sat down on his throne at the right hand of majesty. One of the most frequently, or the most frequently quoted psalm in the New Testament is Psalm 110. And David begins that psalm by saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make all thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. This is the prophetic witness of the exaltation of the Lord to his throne, the right hand of God the Father. Sit at my right hand until... I make all your enemies a footstool for your feet. Until. That little preposition, until, is the biblical doctrine of the session of Christ. Seated at the right hand of majesty, but he is not inactive. Peter, in his first sermon in Acts chapter 2, quotes from Psalm 110 in verse 34. And then in verse 36... He says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And those two terms, Lord and Christ, were like code to the Jew. The Lord Christ was the royal Messiah. He was the son of David who sat on David's throne. And Peter says, that God has made. He's already talked about the fact that Jesus had died, that Jesus was risen from the dead. He, he references David, the prophet. He said, David is still in the grave. His grave is with us to this day. David was not talking about himself, but he was talking about the Messiah, the greater son of David who was to come. And this Jesus has come. And by virtue of his suffering, by virtue of his death, by virtue of his victory, God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. A.A. A. Hodge writes, In the strictest sense, we must date the actual and formal assumption of his kingly office from the moment of his ascension into heaven from the earth, and his session at the right hand of the Father. 
Why did Jesus leave? Well, he left to become the king. He left for his coronation. He left to ascend to his throne. But we wonder, why did it have to be in heaven and not on earth? Why couldn't, as the disciples asked, why couldn't he have established the kingdom at that time in Jerusalem? Why has it been 2,000 years and yet we do not see the fullness of the kingdom yet on earth? Well, I would submit that the reason for this is twofold. First of all, the kingdom of heaven, as I said before, is bigger than the church. It's also bigger than the earth. It encompasses the entire created order, the cosmos. It encompasses everything that God spoke into being. We learn that from what Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 15, where he says that when all things are consummated, then Jesus Christ will turn and give the kingdom back to his Father, that God might be all in all. And so not only does the Lord's reign encompass the physical, visible realm in which we live, it also encompasses the spiritual realm in which the Satans, where the angels and the demons dwell. He will rule over all. And so his vantage point for all of creation is far better to be found at the right hand of the Father in heaven than on earth in Jerusalem. We should not allow ourselves to think, even though man is without a doubt the centerpiece of God's creation, man is created in God's image, we should never think that man is all that is. That God is not concerned with all the rest of his creation. He most certainly is. Jesus went away from the earth, but he went to his throne. He wasn't abandoning his kingdom. He was going to take it up. He was going to be coronated. He was going to be crowned. As Zechariah prophesies in one of the most powerful messianic prophecies in the Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 6, Yes, it is he who will build the temple of the Lord, and he who will bear the honor and sit and rule on his throne. Thus he will be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace will be between the two offices. He has been a prophet throughout his ministry. He becomes a priest in which he both announces and performs the ultimate sacrifice of the Lamb of God himself. And now as the victorious priest, he will take up his throne and be priest and king together. From very small beginnings, that little stone that was cut without hands out of the mountain there would be a kingdom to cover the entire earth, a kingdom that will never end. This kingdom is ruled today by Jesus Christ. It is ruled just as powerfully, and I would submit even more powerfully from the right hand of the Father than it could have been from Jerusalem. He is our king. That is why Jesus ascended. Not, not to leave us, not to abandon us, but to take up his throne. That all the authority and dominion that the Ancient of Days would give to him as the Son of Man might be transferred to us through the Holy Spirit. 
This is where he is and what he is doing now. Never, never think that he is somehow inactive, that he has been in any way frustrated in the purpose for which he was set by the Father, that he is somehow waiting to establish his kingdom. Yes, there will come a time when his kingdom will be visible, will be manifest, will be seen by all, believers and unbelievers alike. But we believe the word of God, though we may not see it with our eyes. He is our king, and his kingdom is now. What can we say about what Jesus is doing? Again, not what Jesus would do, but what he is doing. Well, first of all, we can read the book of Acts. As I've said early on, I believe that the book of Acts is a fifth gospel. It is the, the book of conquest, as Joshua was to the five books of Moses that preceded his. What we read from Luke's second gospel is the pattern of what Jesus has been doing as priest on his throne for 2,000 years. It is not exhaustive, as I mentioned before. Really, only three of the apostles, of the original apostles, only two, Peter and John, have any press in the book of Acts. We're going to be looking, Lord willing, next week as to where Paul fits into the whole mix, like a baker's dozen. You know, we got a 13th apostle here. So Peter and Paul are clearly the, the, the stars of the show, as it were, in Luke's book. And so it is not exhaustive, and it ends abruptly with Paul in house arrest for two years in Rome, but he's not executed. And the church tradition believes that he was released, and in fact even went on to evangelize in Spain. And so the book of Acts is a pattern for us. It tells us what Jesus did immediately after his ascension. As he told his disciples, you will wait in Jerusalem until power shall come upon you when the Holy Spirit is given out and soon we will be at that day of Pentecost when this does indeed happen. It's like the coronation where the, the king who is coronated traditionally would give lavish gifts to all of his people in his kingdom. And there would be food, and there would be drink, and there would be gold and silver, and there would be a great deal of, of largesse poured out. Well, envision that now in chapter 1, verses 9, especially verse 11. He has gone up to the Ancient of Days. He has been coronated. He has been enthroned on high. And he immediately pours out his gifts. What other things are, are he, is he doing? Well, he is building his church. These are things that we need to remember as we read the book of Acts. Remembering that Acts is a continuation of the Gospels. And not believing, as many have taught, that somehow the Gospels are over here telling us about Jesus. And then Acts begins to tell us about the church. And the teaching that I have alluded to so often does that to our minds. Because we think, oh, Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. Acts, you know, the, the Gospels are really kind of part of the Old Testament. And yet they're kind of part of the Millennial Kingdom that's going to come. For those of us Gentile Christians, well, you know, it all kind of starts in the book of Acts. And that is not right. The book of Acts is a book of continuation. And so when we read in Matthew 16, Jesus promising that upon Peter, and upon Peter as a rock, 
And we'll be looking at that soon as we look at the role of Peter in the early church. Upon that rock, he says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. He is, as I mentioned earlier, plundering the strong man's house. Matthew 12. Jesus is, is uh, claimed by the Pharisees and the scribes to be one who casts out demons by the, the chief of demons, Beelzebub. And Jesus says, how can anyone's kingdom stand if he is divided against himself? But he doesn't deny that he is casting out demons. He simply says that if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. But then he says, how can a man plunder a strong man's house unless he first binds the strong man? Now again, dispensationalism teaches us that the binding of Satan will not come until the tribulation. I would submit to you that it has already come. That in his going willingly to death, though innocent of any sin, though unworthy of the wages of sin, Jesus Christ took hold of the one who had the power of sin, turned it around on him, and bound him to where he is no longer enabled to deceive the nations. And now, from a time in which the light of the truth of God was limited to one remnant of one small nation in the world, it has spread out from there into the whole world. Not to every single man, not to every single woman, but to every tongue, tribe, and nation, once bound by Satan in darkness, once under the power of his demons, now the strong man is bound, and Jesus is plundering the strong man's house. He is guiding his disciples into all the truth. John chapter 16, we are promised that the Holy Spirit would guide us into all truth. But Jesus says immediately in that very same verse, John 16 verse 13, that the Holy Spirit will not speak of his own, but would rather take from Jesus and give it to Jesus' disciples. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is the mediator of truth, but the truth itself is in Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so Jesus now, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, is guiding his disciples into all the truth. He is interceding for believers before the throne of the Father in heaven. We learn that in Hebrews chapter 7, that he ever lives to make intercession for us. He sprinkles our holy things with his blood and makes them acceptable to the Father. We still have sin within us. We still fail. We fail in sins of omission and commission. We forget or fail to do the things we ought to do, and we continue to do the things that we ought not do. And yet we have, as John tells us, an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is where he needs to be. He is where we need him to be. And that is at the right hand of majesty on high, interceding for us. In short, he is reigning until all his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. That is what he is doing. Not inactive, not waiting, not frustrated. Actively reigning from his throne in heaven. Acts chapter 1, verse 11. 
Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. This passage has been overworked by many who try to find in these words from the angels, these two men that we assume to be angels, not only the fact that Jesus will return, but also when and where and in exactly what manner. And so we have imaginative paintings within the church. We have imaginative descriptions both in, in, in supposed commentaries and in fictional novels about Jesus ascending or descending down upon the Mount of Olives and this incredible earthquake splitting the mountain in two. And everything is so literal and visual and physical. I do not believe that that's what the angels were doing. They were comforting the disciples and those of us who are disciples throughout the ages with the assurance that Jesus Christ will return. They were not trying to say how or where or when. They, they were not given any more insight into that knowledge than Jesus denied even to himself. No one knows the times and the epochs that the Father has set for himself. It was not for the disciples to know when. It was not for the disciples to know where. It was not even for the disciples to know how. But rather it was for the disciples to know what. This Jesus whom you have seen ascending into heaven will physically return. He will physically descend from heaven at the time appointed by the Father. But his departure was to receive a kingdom. To sit on a throne, and to reign. And so how is the victory, how is the spread of the kingdom to come about? It is rather odd, when you think about it, for the leader of the troops to leave on the eve of battle. If Acts is a book of conquest, where is our general? Where is our commander? Where is the Lord of hosts who stood before Joshua and said, Take off your sandals from your feet, for where you stand is holy ground. Where is Jesus when the battle commences? Well, he's the same place. He's right there at the head. Joshua asked this captain, Are you for us or are you for our enemies? And the Lord of hosts said, No, I am for God. Jesus Christ is leading his forces into battle because through man, sin entered the world. We brought it. Paul's very clear on that. The book of Genesis is very clear on that. Everything we see around us that we want to blame on God, why did God let this tragedy happen? Why does God let this wickedness in the world? It wasn't God's fault. We did it. Through man, sin entered the world. And by the Son of Man, sin and Satan were conquered. And it is as the Son of Man that he ascended to the Father. We tend to think of Jesus going back to the Father as the second person of the Trinity. But what we read in Daniel is one as the Son of Man came up to the Ancient of Days. And sitting on the throne at the right hand of God is our man in glory. 
He is still fully human, having done what Adam could not do, resisted temptation, having done what no man since Adam could do, overcome sin, conquer death, and rob the grave of its prey. This he did as the Son of Man. And now he reigns as the Son of Man. He sits at the right hand of the majesty of God as the Son of Man. And through man, through man in the church, will the whole earth be brought under his dominion. Not through the angels. Jesus said, if I wanted to, I could command legions of angels to come and fight for me. But that is not the plan of God, because the angels didn't create this mess. We did. And so one of us had to overcome it all and conquer the tempter and conquer the accuser of the brethren, Satan, and to take away from him the power of death. And now having done that, one of us sits on the throne in heaven directing his forces through the Holy Spirit as if he were right as he is on the front lines of battle. We just can't see him with our eyes. But through the church... He will realize his victory and his kingdom will indeed overpower the whole world. As Paul says in Romans chapter 16, And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Let us pray. Our Father, we do exalt in the King, the King of kings and Lord of lords, our Lord Jesus Christ. And we do long to see, as Stephen saw, him standing at your right hand, knowing that he has been invested with all power and authority and dominion and a kingdom that will never end. And we do long to see that kingdom manifested, consummated, when all of your creation will be brought under the command of our King Jesus. And he will turn and give the kingdom back to you. And that will be the blessedness of the new heaven and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. And Father, I pray that during this time, this session of Christ, when He is not visible to our eyes, He might be visible to our spirits. That we might walk by faith and not by sight. And know that He has been crowned because He alone has earned that honor. That He is indeed the King. He is the priest upon His throne. He is our intercessor and He is our champion. And Father, I pray that You might fill Your people in all the churches with the awe, the wonder, the adoration that is due our most glorious King, and that by your Holy Spirit, through your church, you might pour out the blessings of the gospel of the kingdom upon all flesh, and that you would add daily those who are being saved to the number of the church. For your glory, Father, for the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ, our King, in whose name we pray. Amen.